This week's episode is brought to you by COVID, unfortunately. Safe to say this top line is the best in the league. Yeah, we are. As McCarr jumps in, moves it and shoots back. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph, and you're locked into Burgundy Radio, which is now officially a podcast about a team who is not playing hockey games. Coming up on the show, the Colorado Avalanche are postponed until Valentine's Day, thanks to coming into contact with a Minnesota Wild roster after one of their players tested positive, which I personally have some feelings about that. But before that, the Avs took five points out of six off the Minnesota Wild, or is it three, four points out of five? I don't, I'm confused. But I'm going to play the whoosh. But not until we introduce my fellow Disinvited Voices of the Week, which are, as always, our Earl 06. Hello, Earl. Hello, friends. And Tiger Vixen. Hello, Jackie. Hello, everyone. So let's go ahead and get right into the most important news of the moment. On Monday, we learned that Minnesota Wilds forward Marcus Felino was on the COVID protocol list. Since he was the only member of his team to go on the list, and since the next day's game went ahead as scheduled, we all assumed he'd been contract contact trace or something. There's not any contract tracing, that's something else. But no, on Wednesday, it became clear he had tested positive, and there's now eight wild on the list, including friend of the show Ian Cole, as well as two avalanche, Tyson Jost and Gabe Landeskog. We record early in the afternoon, before the daily update to the COVID list, so there's a chance that may change. And so instead of five, we only have two games to talk to you about today, because Thursday's game was postponed, the Wild quarantine jetted back to Minnesota and went straight into a lockdown protocol, and both team schedules were cleared for a while. I'll go ahead and make space for y'all to talk about this, but first, postponing Tuesday would probably not have spared Joseph Landeskog, just because of how the incubation period of this virus works, but if any more Avs end up added to the list, you can look at Tuesday's game as a reason why. That's all I have. You go. And, and uh, I, you know, I, I, I see how the NHL is, is sort of learning on the fly here. And, it, you know, I haven't looked at all the new 20 regulations they, they keep posting. But, um, you know, I, I think it is tough to, to go on information that sort of sounds illogical on its on its face that, you know, it's it's hard to transmit it on the ice. And then we find out that, you know, in probably this case it happened, and perhaps Buffalo and New Jersey it happened, and in some other cases. So, <clears throat> yeah, it kind of hurts that this, this was probably preventable. Um, but, you know, hopefully they learn from it, and, you know, this, this can spare us some more schedule difficulties down the road. Well, it's tough to draw a line in the sand, I think, on this because there have the the hurricanes outbreak. There was no cross transmission with I think it was Nashville, and the avalanche situation is compounded by what happened with New Jersey and Buffalo because Buffalo was concerned there's too many New Jersey players added to the list. Then they go ahead and and. Supposedly, they had expressed concern before their final game against each other, which was last Sunday. And then, come to find out, New Jersey had a massive outbreak. And then now Buffalo, I think, believe they might have seven players on the list. So I think part of the reaction in the Avs case was 
because of what happened in the New Jersey Buffalo case where they're really trying to curtail the cross team contamination. So there's examples where it has and it hasn't happened. I agree that it seems pretty likely that's at least where Jost got. I think we feel like Jost is definitely positive. Landy, maybe we'll see, but they wouldn't have canceled unless someone on the abs was positive. So when Felino tested positive, it was one and they're not going to halt a team from playing with one positive. I can't say I necessarily disagree with that either. And like, yes, in, in a perfect world you would, but these things happen multiple times in a week and they all haven't led to outbreaks. So it's really going to be walking that fine line between, you know, what is, what, what you do after one, I think if there's one, then you really need, then you for sure have to do all the rapid testing and everything. I don't think you necessarily have to stop playing after one, but you're, you're going to have to move into a different stage of protocol. So I didn't necessarily disagree with them continuing to play the wild. It's just crazy how it happened, how it went from one to five like that. So like you also like yeah, you I mean, said, nothing- we'll, we'll see if the abs are done, if it's been um, cut off at two. I think what helps is they were off the ice immediately because of the wild. So it wasn't like they were continuing to gather together until an outbreak. Right, And I think that might help the Avs in this case, hopefully keep it to two. I, I think the only thing that we can really push back on with, with that one person thing is that we don't, we don't get to find out why the people are on the list. I, unless someone right. specifically goes out of the way to tell us. So like a team having one or two names on the list could have been contact traced, which is what we were assuming had happened in the first place, or they could be positive. We don't know. So some of these other instances where one person ends up on the list and, and then there's not an outbreak, maybe you know, maybe they weren't positive in the first place. Yeah. Well, you can kind of tell by how long they're on the list. In some cases, definitely. Like, look at Washington. Or uh, the LA Kings. Athens and like I don't know how to say the other guy's name. Lazat. They've been on it for like two weeks. And the Wild actually think they might have got it from that Lazat guy because he was brought up from, or you wait for it, the AHL, and then then played the Wild. That's where they think that they that it began. But those guys have been on the list for like two weeks now, so you you can kind of assume at that point. But I agree, like Kako and John Marino for Pittsburgh, they were on the list for like two days, so that right there tells you that that's not a positive. Maybe it was a false positive or something. So it is something you have to watch for every day and look at patterns and kind of get an idea of um, what's going on, I guess you could say. Yeah, the thing is with testing, I mean, there, there are definitely false negatives. Usually with the quick test, a positive is a positive. I mean, you you know, a real PCR test, but... The rapid um, test I've heard is could be wrong in either direction. Yeah, it it's less reliable than the PCR, but what what's really unreliable is a negative. A, a positive is right. usually not always, but usually a positive. A, a negative yeah. might be a negative. 
Yeah, and and I think that's you know that's the tough thing we're dealing with here. And I think that they have access to you know quicker PCR testing than than the general public. So sure seems that know, way. Soon, yeah. So I, I think probably what would happen, like you would hope, as soon as Felino's going on protocol list came out, that everybody on both teams got into at least a batch test for a PCR that they did quickly. <clears throat> but I mean, y you can't help the incubation period. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of the limiting factor for trying to prevent all this is that, you know, you can have it and not test for a week. Um, positive. Yeah. So, um, it's just, it's, you know, it's just another tough thing about dealing with this, but you know, I, I what I hope is just we look back on sort of these early season outbreaks and see that the NHL kind of figured out how this is working in hockey as opposed to, say, the NFL and basketball and, and baseball and, and sort of crafting their own protocols and, and how they deal with these situations. Because it's, it's definitely it's definitely going to be really different than baseball and football, which are outdoors and a little, little different. Um, sort of player transmission from team to team you know basketball is probably a little closer um, it's a lot so, closer it just has fewer vectors because there's fewer people involved right i um, still feel like it's the teammate thing it's being together it's traveling together it's being in the locker room it's being on the bench together like th this whole thing where you're you're no longer allowed to show up an hour and a half except like any earlier than an hour and a half before the game which i believe they rescinded that is that right yeah, well, they, that, yeah, that, basically that said, they or to prepare it. for the game. Which, okay, well, okay. Yeah. So, so we'll call it a proposal. The proposal that you don't show up more than an hour and a half before the game is ludicrous. Yeah. Because the um, first thing you're going to do is go share a locker room together, and then, okay, we're going to distance the locker room. You can't distance the bench, can you? Yeah, and I and I think Jackie's right that you know, when, once one guy gets it, it's going to be, you know, until that person knows and is isolated, it's going to be tough not to, you know, get close enough to spread it. Like, you know, they, they said that they're going to put all the lockers six feet apart, and anyone that's seen the Avs locker room knows that's impossible. Um, But it's like the, the guy that becomes the patient zero on the team, how he gets it is, is kind of, you know, what we what we would like to see prevented, you know, whether is, is that a team to team transmission or is that just, you know, going to the grocery store and the mask not working or, you know, just talking to your neighbor or whatever, um, something off the ice. Um, you know, it's like once one guy gets it, it's going to be really difficult not to give it to at least one other teammate. Yeah. I mean, um, it's like I said on the discord, um, and obviously not everybody's on the Discord, so like I said on the Discord, um, the, this disease is so transmissible um, that all of our protocols in place for it are mitigation factors. You cannot reduce the risk to zero by washing your hands and wearing a mask. You reduce your risk of, of getting or spreading it, but you don't reduce it to zero. You don't have to do anything, you know, out of pocket. You don't. You don't have to be going out to the bar with. A, an uncovered face all night long and yelling in everybody's faces to catch COVID. Like you can get it by standing behind someone in line to buy milk. I mean, but the other thing is to get your risk level to zero is to stay in bed. So 
Yeah, it's, um, it's to bubble up. That's it. And bubbling up works. We saw that. I just, I just don't think you can cancel a team for a week because one person's positive. Like I, I understand the logic behind that, and I agree with it, but it's, it's just not going to happen. So no, but a, I, I think in a way I, there are going to have to be mitigation strategies. I, I do think once the the first guy either tests positive or goes on protocol for you know a contact trace or something like that, that it it would be good, you know, to either you know alternate uh, how you use the locker room so that that the you know the guys are further apart and not you know sharing as close a space as as perhaps they do now. Um, you know, and and again, that's just something that they'll probably have to figure out by trial and error, like what actually works. And perhaps don't bring in guys on quarantine from the AHL. Just a thought. Yeah, let's 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 dive into that. Um, I, I have been and remain of the opinion that this whole season is kind of a bad idea. So th- this this thing where having one positive is probably is is just not feasible to stop playing games. I, I think is a notch in that direction. Um, but the, a real, that, that's a really big source of risk is just bringing in guys who are not, you know, in the NHL mitigation protocols with, without the isolation period that we were, that they promised. Yeah. Yeah. It really makes um, no sense to me. I don't know why more people aren't like questioning this, especially the ones that, you know, question a lot about what, the NHL and what sport is doing, but for some reason, that's not something that people are <laughs> saying, wait a second, how does this make any sense? And we'll see when the Eagles actually have to go somewhere and play another team, but they've been gathering together for weeks now, skating. And of course they do have their own protocols and their own testing, but there was an article recently from inside the AHL and they said they might only get tested through every three days. And, um, and then you're bringing in guys from that environment into the NHL. And I think it's sad because you're basically asking all the NHL guys to never go anywhere, go to the rink, go home, don't do anything. But yet you're just so casual about, the other players you bring in to your locker room. I mean, this isn't like one guy going to a store. This is bringing people in to sit with you in your locker room who have been playing somewhere else. It's just mind boggling to me. Cause the, the established protocol was that when we bring these guys in, they're going to have to isolate for what is it a week or get, or was it until they have four negative tests within seven days, something like that. Right. Which, Uh, Yes, we've had a lot of injuries and you you would you need to backfill the taxi squad. I totally get that, but you you start getting those guys ready. The second you have one injury, you need to use a taxi squad guy. You get another guy ready. So to me, it's just totally mind-boggling that they've traded players out willingly for fun. Right. And and sending them back to the Eagles and bringing up like O'Connor when he came up, he was up that day with Cout that they sent Cout back. O'Connor was on the ice with the Eagles literally the day before that. And then he went and skated with the Avs the very next day. Makes no sense. 
Now, not that I'm defending this, but <clears throat> you, I mean, there's supposed to be some sort of COVID protocol officer, or at least someone watching. And I know that in the bubble, that was you know, hygiene czar. The hygiene czar. Um, and we don't know exactly what the Avs do or any other team. Um, you know, it it could be, you know, it could be. Com- totally above board like they you know they test all the eagles guys regularly and you know they they're they're really on it as far as making sure they isolate away from the rink as well but it you know it could be that's just a free-for-all down there and, and you know we don't know and and there's just there, there there's no oversight or regulation on that, that that we're aware of so it's just it's and to be it, clear it's tough I to make sense of it i don't want to say that the abs are just doing this because other teams have been well i don't know about the trading out part to me that that's ludicrous but other teams have brought guys in from the ahl um yeah for sure almost immediately but now that the ahl started there's travel there's there's going to be more involved and so we'll see we'll see if any of that changes where the abs can't just bring up some guy on a day's notice to come and join join them in their locker room and in all their business yeah i mean we'll we'll see in another week whether that's going to be the case again like maybe they will just get on it and you know they'll they'll just stalk the taxi squad and that's it because that was going to be the protocol that you have to have your four tests in seven days be negative and then you can join you know practices with the with the taxi squad and stuff and this was the reason that the taxi squad was supposed to have four to six players on it like, so you don't have to have an emergency AHL call up right this minute. But then, you know, within a couple of days, that was modified to you have to isolate for seven days. It, it, maybe. If, we if th- you want. If, if, we, if we say so. <laughs> We're just yeah. not going to say so. Nice. Yeah, it, it does seem that they basically switched that to letting the teams deal with it and... You know, well, again, like we, said, we don't really know if, if the, the AHL to NHL um, stream is is producing cases or not, because, it you know, it, it might be that just by sheer luck, it's not. But well, like I said, you can make an argument for L.A., which may have started this entire chain. Of right. But yes, that that is a lot of speculation for me. Like nobody has confirmed that through testing or anything like that. But. You can you can see a chain there, and it, it it is curious. But what's different between then and now is the AHL just started over this weekend, and the Eagles did not partake because their opponent has been banished to Canada. But a lot of these other teams have have played someone, and so we'll see. We'll see if that changes it. Where they're going to have to take it seriously if these teams travel. That you can't just immediately then walk into an NHL locker room. You gotta hope so. And yeah, uh, you would. We gotta toss this one into the show. Um, Casey <laughs> Middlestad of Buffalo, Travis Sanheim of Philadelphia, and Samuel Gerard have been added to the COVID list. Oh, son of a right. bitch! That's devastating. I even said that probably goes his Iron Man streak. Oh, maybe not. <gasps> yeah, he could. He could be just like a four-day guy. We'll see. Oh, that's that's rude. That sucks. Well, I'll figure out where in the show to stick that one. Back to whatever we were just saying. 
And and while we're on the subject of the AHL, um, the, the, I kind of forgot to mention this in the pre-show, so I'm going to put y'all on the spot. Um, AHL Colorado Eagles uh, general manager Chris Stewart is either retiring soon or has retired. I'm not sure which, um, but he's uh, stepping away from his role with the Eagles. I'm curious what y'all think that might mean. Um, I don't really think it means much. He used to be the coach. He was the coach there for a long time when they were ECHL. So when you're in the ECHL, guys have to, the, those in charge have to wear a lot of different hats. So you can be the coach and the, exactly. You can be the coach, the general manager, you're the one booking hotels, you do everything. So, um, so there was a point when he stopped coaching a couple years ago and then he remained in more of the general manager role. And then when they be, when they matched up with, with the abs, um, then it, it's typical for a, a NHL executive ass, uh, assistant general manager like Billington to be the actual GM take over for the affiliate because they're the ones that move guys up and down. They're the ones that are signing these AHL contracts, et cetera. So Billington is, was, is, and still will be the actual general manager of this team it's just basically they didn't push Stewart out because he's been there forever well respected and supposedly he did other general manager duties that were more for their own staff their own financial things etc so it's not going to change much I don't think it means that like the Eagles are going in a different direction or anything like that it was just more a respected guy who finally decided to fully retire He's a yeah, very he old the... school guy, so the less of that that are, that's around, maybe the better. But it's it doesn't change how they operate. Yeah, he was more the general manager as it relates to the league itself, rather than to you know how how they relate to the ABS. Um, I I do think he he had a little bit of influence in some personnel moves, especially with the AHL only contracts. But um... playing the ECHLers, maybe. Yeah, and and sort of the the goony thing. Um, <clears throat> we you know we we know the abs kind of like that anyway back down in the AHL, but um, you know I just looking back at his history with the Eagles, he did a lot of good things for them on the ice. Um, so you know it's a loss. He did a lot for that organization. It definitely built but, a uh, a reasonably decent fan base for an AHL club. Yeah. And very successful. I mean, they won a lot of championships. So, you know, that, that's a good feather in his cap. So, happy, yeah, I, I, happy trails to the original Chris Stewart. Pretty much. Um, I think that'll just about do it for uh, off-ice stuff that we have to talk about. So, let's get right back into it then. Um, we talked quite a bit last week about what the Avs might do to make a full lineup fit under the cap, and they simply chose not to. With they s- did not. <laughs> with 17 skaters, the Avs dropped a game in overtime to the Wild, 4-3, to but nobody cared about that. Nobody cared about the goals scored by Jonas Donskoy, Kale McCarr, and Brandon Saad. Nobody cared about the screeching softy that was the game winner, or both goalies pulling in about an 880 for that matter, because Colorado lost Nathan McKinnon to... A mystery. Nobody knows anything other than lower body. There was no skate visibly caught in a rut. There was no hit. There was no blocked shot. He was just 
gone. The game was a train wreck, and just to make it clear, the uh, the reason we didn't pop back on for an Oh My God, Mac is Hurt Coda is that's really all we knew. That's all the information we had. Wasn't much to say. It, it kind of still is all the information we have. Yeah, so yes, it can one. always get worse. Just remember <laughs> that. <laughs> it, but it's funny, I, I can't help but can. sort of liken... <clears throat> I can't help but liken this to last spring when Mac got hurt and then they played one game without him and then... <laughs> gone. <laughs> so... <laughs> It's kind of weird that both times he's gotten hurt, they play one game and then go into COVID protocol. <laughs> um, the weird thing is, is, like, I mean, people have really looked back at all his shifts, and, and there's just nothing to indicate that something may be amiss. And, you know, of course, that fuels rampant speculation. And, and the fact that they really aren't that truthful or, or forthcoming with information makes people wonder whether, you know, lower body injury means he has a concussion or something like that. Um, so, and and now that the, the team has gone completely dark after going into protocol, um, you know, there's just, there, there's been nothing. Obviously, we, you know, they have not been on the ice. So even if he was getting better quicker than than perhaps thought, you know, he's just still wake to week like everyone else. So I'm not gonna get my tinfoil on this one. I'm I'll I'll take it as somewhat straightforward. Uh, you know that there it's not some giant cover up and and it was that he didn't leave the game. He just didn't come out for the third period. And and like you said, there nobody has been able to find like an obvious this where it looks like he's in pain moment or something so you almost do wonder if it it was a bit of overuse that came up maybe pulled groin or something like that also coupled with if you believe that at any point in time the dater can tell actually get information and tell the truth <laughs> with his 25 years worth of sources you would think like at some point something useful comes up it's just a shame what you always have to question whether or not he's actually telling the truth making something up just assuming or that he actually made a phone call so taking a picture of a television <laughs> <laughs> so i was there if he did actually do his job at some point then found out that mckinnon um would only be out a week or two that it wasn't like something major like knee injury or something crazy like that that if he is out a week or two then that would sort of point to a pulled groin to something of that that you just need a little bit of rest and get better which they've been playing the crap out of him and in that game that he that he stopped playing he was at 16 minutes through two periods so it's not and then it was a back-to-back it's not unfathomable to think that he just he got overworked at that point and it's just gonna need to rest a little bit is my read on the situation but yeah when bedner arrives at the press conference it pretty much says these six guys are week to week so don't ask me about them for the rest of the week <laughs> <laughs> i guess that uh that you you really don't have much to go on at that point we're only yeah. like you only get asked over and over for information if you're not providing information there's an easy solution <laughs> yeah. here. 
Right, yeah. Like, yeah. Craig Berube just told us today <laughs> that one of the blues is out for 46 weeks with a broken thumb. Holy shit. Well, that's true, too. I bet he won't get asked every day where Thomas is. <laughs> I bet he won't. Yep. So if you're listening, Jared Bednar, just just tell us something and we'll stop asking. Yeah. No, I mean, just in Gene Martin, anal no. retentiveness about in- information. And then, you know, and I, then I, was... just, I, I don't think it helps because it seems like he gets very aggravated, like the old, I, I thought I explained this before. <laughs> um, well, I do feel, he does get a lot of dumb questions. So I, I do feel for him, especially when they were questions that someone asked him like the day before. And he did explain it. Like his job is to worry about who is available to him and getting them together to win hockey games. Like I, well, I he he's the totally de facto mouthpiece but, for the entire but, organization. Yeah, that, he really is. That's that's the, the other part I was gonna say is when you say that the only person that anybody's allowed to speak to is him at these certain t- press conferences, then what do you really expect? And yeah. uh, um, I guess in a side with this is the tase injury was expressed in the same manner bednar said week to week and then there was a report that oh he's going to be out seven to ten days but it was multiple people that wrote this like the athletic and then come to find i come to find out the pr actually sent an email that said that (laughs) so then bednar sits up there and says he's week to week don't ask me about him like why can't you just reiterate what pr like it just it it makes no sense it is the this insane silly game that we have to play in regards to information like who has it who's telling the truth who can find it out can i find it out before these people they get paid to give information find it out because it seems like we're we're all in the same boat here yeah and it's a joke it I, really is i would just encourage all the people who decision make on this to just consider who it's serving to aggravate your head coach with injury questions because he he can't tell anybody any real information while other teams do and do just fine. Like, it's it's just like it, what's the point? It's a game. It really is, and all parties are part of this game. It makes no sense. Very very silly. Yeah. So yeah this 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 game was a disaster. Just kind of all around. There's just. It was a back-to-back, which means it was a rough, kind of shitty game anyway. Nobody could make a save, and that was how the game ended. Nathan McKinnon yeah. disappears. Like this, but now that the goal in overtime, you're just like, <laughs> it's just like, whoop! <laughs> Didn't see that coming. Not. <laughs> I do remember this game was. It, it was. It sort of reminded me like one of those Anaheim games, the, the the game that they got goalied against Anaheim was they were generating chances. They weren't, they just weren't going in. So you could look at it on one hand, like the abs had decent control of the game against Minnesota, but, and they did even take the lead in the third period, but it just never felt like they had control. Like in that third period, it just felt like Minnesota was going to score. And then, well, they scored to tie it, but it just felt like they were going to score the last one. And in a way, I, I think part of that comes from the fact that nobody has any confidence in Miska. That too, 
you know, it's not like he's you. You will disagree, but I'm going to say it's not like he's awful. He's just the difference between a guy that gives up three instead of two. Like he's not giving up six, but he's going to give up three when Grooby or somebody better would give up two. And maybe sometimes that matters. Maybe sometimes it doesn't. But it's like both of the games that he's played in that has been the difference between winning and losing. But it's mattered. I'm not going to say it was just him. The no. reason why you felt like they they probably were not going to win this game. And when we talked last week, we just felt like they were due as well. But it, it never at any point in this game were you really like, boy, they have great control over this. So I felt relieved when they got to overtime. It was like, okay, they got a point out of this. They got three out of four from going to Minnesota. You know, going into it, if you said mm-hmm. we're going to get three out of four on the road against them, you'd be like, cool. You're all, you will always take that, right? Mm-hmm. so yeah. and then of course certain games unfold and you're like you know that was crap but <laughs> in this one you you still didn't feel disappointed it is funny when you give up a goal like 18 seconds into overtime but you know it is what it is, is it's it... so familiar <laughs> <laughs> and it's just a reasonably routine low to high shot that <laughs> Like, I don't know why you. I uh, I get why they started with Land, even though he hasn't looked good at, in the last couple games. I guess maybe we know why now. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll see. But uh, he he didn't look good the last couple games, so it's like, why do you start with him? But he did. He had scored the last overtime winner, so you could make that argument that yeah, he's he also scored the last one. He's also and a good face off, and he yeah. takes face off that, so i'm not going to disagree with him on the ice but Kadri is not a good checker he is not good in coverage i have no idea why you would start with him same reason face-offs yeah the avalanche have had they two were, they were gambling games. on getting possession and just keeping it yeah the, the avalanche <laughs> and, have had two overtime games and lost two overtime face-offs <laughs> like well then i guess you didn't need to put both of them out there i yeah. so it is very hot it is very hindsighty when you pick apart over time it it is a bit random and i i was more satisfied with how they played the first one against anaheim that they obviously won so i'm not going to crucify them for what happened to this one like it happens is miska it's too bad they didn't get a chance to really possess the puck and have a chance but that's how it goes sometimes. Yeah, this overtime shouldn't have been a big deal. That that's I mean, you lost a face off, you went and you generated a low percentage sh- shot that should have been a face off. Like oh well. <laughs> yeah, make a save. Um but I do want to say one last thing about this game was that it was a great goal that McCarr scored and he scored several against Minnesota in his career, so if he gets that little reputation as a bit of a, a wild killer, that would be super. But um, <laughs> that was probably the best thing that that came out of these last this entire week was that goal that McCarr scored. McCarr gets the puck at the blue line, looks at I think that was Ryan Hartman in the in the high slot, yeah, and says, "I'm about yeah. to end this man's whole career." <laughs> yeah, we thought when he walked away, walked around Greenway was great. This was even better. <laughs> what a goal um so on monday our cat mystery was finally solved they did make some moves after sunday's game and one of us has at least some understanding of what that is 
Okay, yes, I would try to explain it, but I do want to say that this is obviously new territory for all of us, so I don't have the 100% grasp on this, but I do feel like I understand what they did. There, so There are no Brandon Pridhams on this show. <laughs> so yeah, I'm not I'm not um promising complete legality here, but I think I get it. So um it always the LTIR thing has been a question where people are like, why, you know, these guys have been injured for a while. Why don't they use it? Like, why are they doing the cap dance? They could have just put a guy on LTIR and had more more cap like this whole time, and then we didn't have to play with eleven forwards the other night. And then we didn't have to dress an injured EJ or an conditioned EJ and all that. But um, it's because they don't want to be an LTIR. That's the thing. It's like they're trying to avoid it because they want to bank cap space probably for the deadline. So, so we felt like they were finally getting to a point where when you have six regulars out of the lineup, then you have to pay for six more players. Like the, you can try to do the dance as much as you want, but when you get to the point where you need that many extra players, no, no team has that extra, that kind of extra money laying around. So, so I guess when they finally decided to break down and use LTR to give themselves some cushion is on Monday, they called up Bowers which let's just say that's pretty damn cruel to call a guy up. And they even got some of his family thinking that he was actually going to play in the NHL. That's just mm. sad, first of all. But they called Bowers up and Werner up because Werner is 300000 more expensive than Miska. And Bowers, I think, is the same over if you want to over Sherwood or somebody. So... What it ended up doing is it got them within $1,500 of the cap ceiling, which is $81.5 million. So all their other players they had, plus those moves, got them $1,500 within the cap. Usually when you use LTIR, it's because you're way over the cap. So when you see like the Leafs and all these other teams, they're like $5 million over the cap. And they use LTIR, and then it gives you... And then that that space that you make over the cap, but I guess you can make space under the cap too. So, so then when they used LTIR on Francis, which was two million dollars, then and then um, and then redid the transactions where they sent Bowers down, they sent Werner down, and they put the cheaper players on the roster is they were back at where they were where they had like about you know two or three hundred thousand dollars cap space before they did all this so they're not using frank's salary at at the present moment because they were even with these moves they were under the cap by fifteen hundred dollars so that in essence sets their new cap limit and if they stay under that then they can still accrue cap space so it gives them basically now a $2 million cushion where if due to some of the, these COVID issues, which we'll get into how that might affect the roster later in the week, they could use the exception and those guys are free. But if any more injuries come up, they need more. They will have that room because they put Frank on LTR. But if they don't, then they can continue to accrue cap space like they were. 
So hopefully that makes sense why they did it this way. But to me, it makes sense. I think it was a, a good move. And for a team that doesn't want to be an LTIR, I feel like they didn't choose Frank because he's he's the deadest. Like, he's the most gone. <laughs> he's not going to come back. Because what people seem to think, like, when you saw the headline, oh, Francois goes on LTR, you think, oh, my God, you know, he's done. <laughs> they were going to pick someone that was done. I think they would have picked Calvert. Yeah. So for a team that doesn't want to be an LTIR, then you pick somebody that maybe you have an idea when they're coming back or that they are so that when he does come back, then they're, they're not in LTIR. That makes sense. Yeah, that and makes a lot of sense. Because if, if he's, he's going to be the next guy to come back, then he would be the shortest term on LTIR. Yeah, that's another, <clears throat> the other thing I should say. He's been out the longest, so it can be retroactive to to go back to when his injury was. I think it was just just one game into the season. And the cap um, wiggle room cannot. Or two. Right. You can't retroactively claim the savings. You can't yeah. go back and, and get money back. But it's... If the, he goes the on twenty four days can be retroactive. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. That's the it's one thing like... I do get. Because I went back and looked just to make sure. There's been guys that put on LTIR. They came off two days later. So it does work that way. So that has been the arcane details of cap management for the day. Yes. Um. And as uh, that effect, they got to play a full roster on Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, uh, they 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 were able to play a full roster on Tuesday. My main complaint with what they did is that they did it a day late. I, they really hamstrung themselves by not being able to ice a full lineup on Sunday, and maybe paid for it with the health of Nathan McKinnon. That's a good. Well, point. there's one thing too that I think they had to play with a short roster or, or a short lineup. To get the emergency exception on Tuesday. But they didn't use it. But that's the thing. Cap Friendly was wrong. Cap Friendly had to figure out how they got through that game on Sunday. And they assumed that they were using an emergency. Or not. I don't think it was. I think it was the Tuesday game. Because nobody could even figure out what they did on Monday. So Cap Friendly thought they were (laughs) using. (laughs) This is serious. It's not just you folks. emergency exceptions to get through the game on Tuesday. Then they find out it actually was Frank's LTIR that made that were able the reason why they were able to get different players up. And and then it's funny that it took like Chambers and some of the other guys in the media to like Thursday to figure it out. And they think that he was put on LTIR because of Joe's getting positive for you know assume positive but put on the COVID list. And it's like, no, <laughs> get get with the program here. We already talked about this was going to have to happen. I I do wonder if it's they needed that day in between because I think they made some new rule that you have to have a day with your LTIR roster before you can then You can't do a it. day of game kind of thing. Right. Like you can't just call Bowers up yeah. and use LTR and then send him down the same day. Like you have to cross into the next day to do that so yeah you maybe can't that's go why up and they down waited. on the same day yeah maybe that's why they waited until they're because e- either your day counts or it doesn't 
you know? Right. right. So then, like, is is your couple thousand dollars of daily cap accrual worth risking the health of Nathan McKinnon again? Well, they should have probably done this, like, at least a week ago. So, yeah. right. It, it yeah, all I mean. compounds. Yeah, obviously. And that's and that's obviously very easy for us to say from from our positions outside the team looking backward. Um, yeah, and we don't just... have any prognoses on the, these guys either, right? Like that, having that information would certainly be helpful. <laughs> so, like, if if the Avalanche make it out of the game on Sunday without losing Nathan McKinnon, then we're sitting here going, okay, they played a shorter skater and came out of the back to back on the road with a point, no worse for wear. This, how big of a deal is that? Right, it's but, like okay, which sure I can't honestly that say game. that. Yeah, it's it's the whole like, what does it matter? Okay, you you played twelve forwards, it would have been Sherwood. Like, is that the difference? No, but it it gets back to. But you were already playing the crap out of McKinnon on a back to back because because again, this is why all this stuff matters. This is why what your fourth line does matters because it all compounds. And McKinnon's injury may have nothing to do with overuse. We have no idea. It just doesn't. Right. It just seems like the most likely culprit. So I think he would have played that same uh, regime of minutes anyway. But I'm not going to say it doesn't matter. But um... it's it's never one thing, right? Like right. We're, we're talking about sports. We're talking about a collection of humans playing a game together. Like it, it's never one thing. It's never one person's fault for a goal. It's never one person's credit for something it, it all it all matters in the end the, your goal is to try to move as many of those needles in your direction in the positive direction as possible so with the aim of moving as many needles in the positive direction as possible when the abs sent down shane bowers on monday they did not send down sheldon dries and then on tuesday they put in the lineup, Sheldon Dries. Who just, we know about him. Before we get into this, who, by my eye, had probably his best game in the NHL. Go. And, and Jared Bednar agreed with you. <laughs> That's also kind of scary, but it... And yes, when we talk about the next game, the fourth line got a goal... They were generally positive. They won the game and everything. But it's not just about one game. Like, any person can have a good game. Any player can. And it's proven that Dries has not been a good NHL player. And not just like, okay, what can you expect from a fourth liner? Like, actually, he had some of the worst metrics of anybody that played last year. Remember, this includes guys like Greer had even played last year. I mean, we're talking about literally the worst that had played on the team. And you can say, okay, well, that wasn't like the largest sample size. Okay, you can go back to his 40-game stint. He still wasn't good in that season either. So why... He was horrendous in the playoffs. <laughs> and why we... You know, you hear a lot about, okay, they're a contender now. They can't bother with playing kids. It's like, it. you're also a contender. Why are you playing career minor leaguers for fun? Like, you have, you have guys like Bowers and Cout. It's not so much necessarily about them. It's just at a certain point, 
if you invest in them, you you hope to have more than just a fourth line plug career minor league or warm body. You hope to have somebody that you maybe you want to have on your third line when everybody's healthy. Like this is, and then that's how your team gets better. And that's how you go into the playoffs and you have real depth, not look at all these AHLers we can call up. So why on earth Dries was even an option to begin with, with the analytics that he had, the long chance that he's had, and why it just it makes no sense to me like i haven't complained that much about sherwood even though i think he was just handed a chance but he and we know what o'connor does i'm not sure he can keep up that and energy level if he plays every single night but he's definitely a good guy to throw in there and change things up but when you're when you're at the point of dries is it because He's the only one in the organization that can play center, even though he is not even a real center. Just because you play him as one in the AHL doesn't mean he's he should be playing center in in the NHL. It it's just and it didn't cost them in this game. That that's fine. But over the long term, when you're putting those guys in the lineup, and God knows what they're gonna have to do now if Jost and Landy can't play for a couple weeks. And if nobody else comes back, all these guys they're going to be there again is dries first in line now because they won that game you know at what at what point are you going to look at guys like count bowers to because we said oh you know it's the numbers game and if everyone's healthy they're not going to play and i was totally fine with that but when we're at the point where now we're playing three guys from the ahl and none of them are count bowers it's like what are we doing here We've gone from everybody's healthy to nobody's healthy. It's very different, <laughs> very different reality. Um, yeah, and nothing's I mean, changed. It, it's the same story every single year. And and uh, I well, get in a situation a where you're like, I'd echo that Sherwood get... has been mostly fine. I'd echo that Logan O'Connor is the perfect thirteenth forward because he gives you a couple of fantastic efforts before he falls off, and he can move in and out and be great. But yeah, I mean, we get in this situation where it's like, oh my god, you know, we have to play dries again. And I'm saying this from Bednar's point of view, and it's like you're you're always going to be, oh my god, we have to play dries again until you get those guys ready, like Jackie said. It's just it's a it's a vicious circle, and you just have to bite the bullet at some point and say, you know what, we're going to get some mistakes, and we might, you know, you might even lose a game because of it. But you just you have to do it because you have to build these guys up so you don't say, oh my god, it's game seven in the second round of the playoffs, and we're we have to play Sheldon Dries again. You're playing them four to seven <clears throat> minutes anyway. Like, how much of an impact on the game are they really going to have in four to seven minutes? They they could have an impact, yes. Uh, how much of one? Well, we saw it in game seven. That's why I keep coming back to it, is it all ends up mattering. You burned out McKinnon in game seven. You couldn't play drives more than six minutes. And the guy that was on the other side that Dallas put in their lineup because they had an, an injury, he got a hat trick. That's the difference. Like yeah. it literally mattered in that game. So you can't say it doesn't matter. Like it all, <laughs> it all matters. It always matters. And, and, uh, and how are things going to change? It's hilarious when people talk about, oh, this guy is going to be the Belmare replacement. It's like, when are they ever going to do that? Like, why, why do people still think of 
prospects and the roster and the pipeline that way. It's like until they prove that they even have even that concept in their mind, it's never going to happen. Defensively, they do. It's the forwards that they keep adding, just adding randoms to the lineup every summer. Um, but the, the, the reason I bring up the impact in four to six minutes of ice is that if you have a couple of rookie mistakes, it's like, there's going to be one, maybe two of them. Yeah. And not like these, and and you know what, they're going to learn from like, them and get better. Whereas dries will not. Yeah. The, like, the, 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 the pluggos you're going to bring in who are fine AHL players and there's, that's nothing to sneeze at, come up to the NHL and you can rely on them to make a couple of mistakes because the game's just faster than they are. Like, how's that different? Drys and O'Connor both took penalties. Like, okay. Drys tried to kill Philip Grubauer. Like, come on. Yeah, his first shift. I was just like, okay. Yeah. Do, do, <laughs> so this is why you call him up. Let's let's go ahead and and just like include the game in this conversation now, because with Nathan McKinnon out, the Avs turned to its secondary scoring on Tuesday, and the secondary scoring says, "I got nothing, sorry." And so they turned to their tertiary <laughs> scoring, and they win 2-1 with goals from Logan O'Connor and Valerie Nachushkin. 27 saves for Philip Grubauer, who's been real solid so far this season. you got to hand it to him. Second game-winning goal of the year for Nuke, too. <laughs> that is true. And, and yeah, this is like a – you could call this a depth win, of course. When you get your goals from your fourth line and your third line, that's it, and you win the game, that's like a team win. It's a, it's a good team win. Everybody contributed. It's great the fourth line actually worked with the AHLers. Sure, yeah, it it helped you there. But to you cannot rely on that going forward. But not to produce. Yeah. And I'm just gonna say I like the fourth line with Logan O'Connor and and with Sherwood. I don't key for Sherwood. I I think that those two together produce something really interesting. And Sheldon Dries yeah. is there. But I like those two together. They produce something very interesting. <laughs> Probably the best version of that was when Jost was the center. Probably. Definitely. And then then you you could have that energy, but then Jost adds the defense. And, um, and then you have a fourth line that has an identity, which I believe we discussed on last week's show. It's just too bad it only lasted for one game. <laughs> 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 if they could get back to that, then sure, that's a good... A good idea because I have argued I think Cowdenbauer's are more like third liners that you should be thinking about replacing those guys. But if you're gonna say their barrier to entry is they need to actually play, well then yeah, they need to actually play. It, they they you're trying to hire an entry level position here with that requires two years of experience. See the issue? Um I don't know how much else there really is even to say about the game on Tuesday. It was kind of a nothing overall, just because not, not a whole lot happened other than the Avs pulled out a, a, a pretty good team win. It's You like to win those games. Um, but It was a little tough to watch. Yeah, it, it wasn't an amazing game. It, it wasn't a Ducks game, but it was, wasn't an amazing game. Yeah, and it, it, <clears throat> I will say, because you know, we, we do rag on Minnesota a lot for being boring, but I, I thought both weekend games were actually fairly interesting. This one was, was not, and you could kind of tell that the teams were kind of tired of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, we can also say like that I... uh, Gabe Landeskog was very not good in this game. Ooh. <laughs> and and s- like... some of that may have to do with who the first line center was. Yeah. 
It wasn't Nathan McKinnon, as we said. No. It wasn't even close. Yeah, Lainey wasn't great in the Sunday game either, but sure, that doesn't help. Um, but yeah, a lot of a lot of guys didn't probably didn't have their best in uh, in the third Minnesota game, and they had been playing a lot. You don't know, like, was COVID affecting these guys, and also the Minnesota guys as well. It was also the. It's just that's a lot of hockey in general that they've played in the last. 10 days or so and then three against the same team just piles on the fatigue but i agree yeah, with I mean, Earl that minnesota was definitely better than those california teams to watch definitely and and that was without a lot of their best players too like they they yeah. the the abs are just as injured as the wild are like this was two teams that are pretty equal right now in terms of what the roles are available on their teams so it was uh yeah i kind of a reasonably equal I, game, and it was it, it it was leveled in such a way that was part of why it was boring. Just because there's some of your best players are not there, right? And it just makes me shudder to think what Thursday's game would have been like. <laughs> yeah, they they canceled yeah. that game, and it was a little bit of a fist pump. It's just like, oh, we don't have to sit through another one of those right now. All right. <laughs> yeah, and it's I, I know with the schedule it's tough, but I I, I do think that that. You're you're not getting sort of a playoff vibe by game three. Um, it, it's it's definitely you're more tired of it, and you know, like the Blues and the Coyotes are playing like six times in a row or something like that. And <laughs> yeah. I, I can't even imagine that. Yeah, honestly, shout out to the NHL for making that happen. It's a nice proactive move to move up some of their games later in the season because those were the teams that were supposed to be playing Colorado and Minnesota this weekend, and they were already together. So make them play some more. Why not? Um, but yeah, that really sucks, especially for Blues fans to have to watch six Coyotes games in a row. Um, yeah, that's how I feel about just, that. Just we'll find out when we see how they uh, reimagine the Avs schedule. It it feels like there's going to at least be another three against Minnesota. Though the one that they missed in Denver, because both teams actually have some space before their next trip to Denver. So you would think that that's going to be an easy one to slot in another game and play another three in a row, but we'll see. Like the NHL changed 27 different games to redo the devils and the Sabres schedule. So they'll probably announce the abs schedule, maybe even Monday. So maybe you guys already have heard that what they're going to do, but good Lord, what we're going to have to go through and see how crazy it is when they, um, and they come up with that one. Because I, I think you checked, right, and, and found that, that the Avs were, were not playing, um, like, like, the, like they have some games that are already scheduled in, in there with the, with where the Blues and Coyotes games yeah. came from. They're in, they're in a pretty solid, like, every other day stretch. I think it was the end of, I think it was the end of March. It's the end of March, yeah. So it's not as easy as just saying, oh, well, those dates are open now, so we'll take those. But I haven't looked at like Minnesota's schedule, so I'm sure you know anything that they could change to to create a new hole helps. But yeah, I have a feeling they're going to move quite a few abs games, and we're going to have to really look and see. Okay, are we going to have more three and? Mm. I know they haven't resorted to three and three, but like three game series, or does it take away every single one of their extra days off? Like, in it, it does feel like a blessing in disguise because of the injuries and everything. Like. 
of course we didn't want to have to play another whole week without McKinnon and maybe we could, maybe he's back by the time that they can start playing again, which would be fantastic. But it's just going to be like, how much is this going to compound down the line? And maybe you wish you're going to have some guys at that point too. And honestly, like a minor heavily asterisk shout out to the NHL for postponing uh, a few games for the avalanche this feels more proactive this it, it feels like them learning a little bit from the buffalo situation so um, yeah. i think they had to with the criticism mm-hmm. but we'll see how that changes how they operate when these issues come up with other teams and, and later in the season as well when there's when there's not so much wiggle room because we're just we're in a position now where, where we're not even a month into the season and like a quarter of the league is on the shelf it's it's, yeah, it's I, a whole mess. I keep getting the feeling that they're going to end up in, having to extend the season if they want to get 56 games for each team in. Definitely. Um, and I know everyone says that the Olympics is a, sort of a hard date that they need to schedule around and things like that. Um, you know, I, there are rumors that I've seen from the cycling community that the, the Olympics are might not go off on schedule. Um, I, yeah, I don't know how credible it is, but you know, if if that becomes a moving target, then then maybe the NHL gets a, a little bit more wiggle room. If we're talking about a week or two, it's they could figure it out because there's way, way, way too much time in the playoffs to begin with. Like, no, we saw with the bubble playoffs that you can get it done faster if you need to. Every three days is just absurd at that point. So. One or two weeks, they could probably extend, and it doesn't change anything. So, we'll see. Yeah, there, there's times in the Stanley Cup final when there's one game for five days. It's just like that's silly. Yeah, it really is. All right, so that's what happened this week. Um, it, I, I do want to throw out one last minor topic before we move on to our last big topic, which is that I really feel like Tyson Jost. Um, deserves um, a little bit of credit and honestly so do the coaching staff for Tyson Jones because he's been getting a much more predictable role this year which we've been pounding the table for and he has surprisingly done very well with it the penalty kill has been fantastic some of that is goaltending and some of that is who's on it Um, and he, he's just defensively been really successful so shout out to Tyson yeah. Jost and shout out to the staff for finally finding a role for him. Yeah, absolutely. And then you get into a point where maybe he can really be the Vilmer replacement that you don't feel like his time's running short in Colorado. Sure, you'd love to have like a defensively responsible younger player that you're not paying UFA prices to somebody over 30 that can be a fourth line center. So, yeah, it's great. And if he can stay in that role and thrive in it, you hope for maybe a little bit more production. But when you're in that role, then your value isn't driven by production. It's driven by these other things that he can excel at. And he has to this point. Like, it's not a mirage. We've talked for several years that he has good defensive metrics. So it's finally it's finally led to something. So, yeah, it's nice. Yeah, I mean he's very good at suppressing the opponent. Um, also, everything you know, it does 
yeah, it does come at the expense of uh, suppressing his own offense and, and his teammates' offense. But um, I, I think he'll take that. And, and I think there are ways to make that up. I, I think, again, what we saw with sort of a, a O'Connor as a foil to the way that he plays, we talked about this last week, you know, just having O'Connor as sort of a, a speedy tryhard, um, you know, that sort of offsets a lot of his weaknesses. And that's something that, that sort of when you're you're building a lineup down the road, you might think about and, and sort of get that offense going a little bit more. And then the penalty kill, I certainly needs a shout out. That when I looked yesterday, which I don't think anyone was like fraction of percents away, so there probably are still number one in the league in penalty kill, which of course we're talking about 20% into the season, but considering how much we've complained about the penalty kill, I think it is notable at this point. And I will direct you to Philip Grubauer's save percentage on the penalty kill. <laughs> Which is yeah. also interesting because it had been poor. Yes. In the past. <laughs> yes. Those that was good on the penalty kill. Yes. It's it 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 maybe it's not a really dependable first overall penalty kill, but it's been a good one. And I yeah. think the personnel changes they have made that giving Jost a bigger role. And Earl, you do point out every time Calvert's out of the lineup, the penalty kill seems to get better, which... And Belmare. (laughs) That's because Calvert is not much of a penalty killer. And he was never much of a penalty killer. And they brought him in and billed him as a penalty killer. And we all said, huh? And And I was looking at some of the stats, like the Corsi against per 60, which is gives you a little bit of an idea of uh, who's getting shot at. (laughs) when they're on the penalty kill like calvert was of the regulars calvert was the worst and of the regulars you know who's the best any guesses it's jost or nichushkin no. sam nuke the ah that makes uh, sense see i i generally do prefer to look at fenwick on penalty kill um well that because... yeah that too i did look look at both of them uh, be- because fenwick is uh, unblocked the, the shots unblock, yeah. and blocking yeah. shots is definitely a strategy so you don't want to penalize that um, so I do prefer Fenwick but I'm sure that I, I wouldn't be very surprised to see a difference I, mean, I would be very surprised to see a difference yeah I did look at both so I do, I do know what, what you're saying about um, that the blocks are important on, on the penalty kill but it like in in those metrics too like Gerard and Makar were both pretty good for the guys that have seen some regular minutes on it and i think it does make a difference to i know a lot of people don't like it because you think in horror of these guys blocking shots but the point is they're not sitting back in coverage and blocking shots that they're pressuring the puck they're using their speed and their puck skill and then they're able to get the puck out of the zone which is really more the point on the penalty kill than just being a human shield for the goaltender <laughs> right and yeah i thought I it was interesting in the final in the in the last wild game that Makar was on uh first penalty kill with graves because and benner has they've been trying about... sam and and even byram a little bit more um but they they went full on with Makar and graves as the as the top pk unit there and it it worked well and um, i know that and... some people say we well, didn't have taze and you don't have ej and and when they're healthy, they those two will definitely penalty kill for sure. But Bednar even said, like, this is who our decor is, and they're gonna have to do it. And 
Yeah. I think that it is a very progressive way to think about utilizing these guys and you are going to have to watch their minutes and you are going to have to get in a situation where they're not just blocking shots. But like we talked about the other week, even throwing Byram out there for a few a few 10 seconds or whatever at the end, that's helpful as well. So I will say shout out to Bednar and Pratt for being progressive with this. And I think it has made the penalty kill better. Now we just got to get the same thing to happen on the power play. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Rome was Good a luck. day, right? <laughs> yeah. So this is the point of the show where we would usually do our stars and scratches segment. Um, with there only being two games and everything being a little bit funky, it's that wasn't really something any of, any of us felt great about. And a couple of us had uh, independently the same idea to take a different tack on it this week. So instead, we are going to talk about our offensive and defensive MVPs and our positive surprise player and our give me a break negative surprise player through a month of the season. Um, usually with Stars and Scratches, we go out of our way to not have duplicates. I I talked pre-show about not having duplicates, but the more I think about it, I think it's just going to be really hard not to. So um, if, if we all say the same person for certain things, it's, it's probably fine. So let's let's start with the offensive MVP for the Avalanche this year so far for you. I want to... I'm going to jump on this one. I'm going to say Miko. I think... Um... We've t- we talked about it. I'm sure we named him a star one of these weeks. It just his consistency's been remarkable. I believe he has seven game seven goals and they're in seven different games. So seven of the eleven games scored a goal in. I think only three of them were on the power play. So so that um, less than half of that, even though scoring on the power play is definitely appreciated, but it's nice to see that he's driving the bus at even strength as well and. We've talked about how good he's looked. He's he's uh, skating well, holding the puck well, making plays, and I think I I play, place him even over what McKinnon has done. Even though McKinnon has a couple more points, but it just feels like that um, Miko is playing at the top of his game right now. And <clears throat> I'm going to go back on someone I've ragged on a, a little bit this year, and I'm going to go with Kale McCarr. Um, even though it's a real popular pick, um, and he does benefit a lot from playing with the top line, but I, I do think that, that he's a driver alongside those guys. He's not a passenger. Um, but it just, both his offensive and, and defensive numbers are, are pretty incredible for, you know, in essence, a second year player. Um, you just, you, you look at it sort of how he influences, shot volume and, and shot quality both offensively and defensively. It's it's pretty impressive because sort of outside of what he gets from, from playing with the top line, he's he's a bit better defensively than they are. So well, see his his analytics right now are crazy, which is why he's getting some tweets from from the those hockey Twitter people. They really like to watch the numbers. It just um I right. don't have, they have them offhand, they're watching but... kind of silly things but the, the, the kind of things that i'm watching which aren't necessarily as silly um you know it's 
I, I have this thing. There are a lot of guys that, that make charts like that on the internet, and it's like they have a narrative, and then they fill a, a bunch of stats up on a chart just to go along with their narrative, and that's great. Um, you know, that's sort of, you know, making a, a premise and proving it with, with your data. But, um, you know, what, what he does is pretty impressive on both sides of the puck. There was so. one of those charts that was going around the other day that really didn't make a lot of sense, except for the fact that Kale McCarr was the best by a lot. Um, like, there was the group... Oh, the one that was, was expected goals by Fenwick? <laughs> it, it was like, like here's the whole group of the league, and they're all spread out. And then there's here's the really good ones, and then here's McCarr. But it was like... Yeah. It wasn't even just that. It was like expected goals percent versus shot percent or whatever like yeah it, it was Fenwick it was Fenwick for percentage and expected goals for a percentage so it's like basically the same thing on two axes like if you wanted to do expected goals for per Corsi for versus expected goals against per Corsi against then I kind of get it as like the fanciest plus minus available yeah but... Well, like I, I'm looking right now, and he, he has the just raw expected goals percentage. Uh, he's the highest of any defenseman in the league. He's consistently so. sixty or seventy percent every night. It's ridiculous. Yeah, which is, but it's, and he's yeah, got twelve points in general, all games. Yeah, but the abs in general are really high. Um, you, what I've been doing and. This is something I'm, I'm going to be working on for for an article next weekend. Is is sort of breaking down <clears throat> um, individually how players compare to the team in various score situations. You know, first all situations, then leading, trailing, and tied. Um, just sort of you know who's driving in in which situation and who's getting the ice time in which situation. Sort of give a an insight into usage and effectiveness. Um, Sounds very interesting. But Make sure you give me a ping when that's up. <laughs> he is super effective, and I've only gotten through leading so far. It's very tedious. I have to hand enter all the information and do some math in my head while doing so. Um, but, you know, it's just that what he's able to do, um, he, he goes against the grain of the team enough that it stands out. So that's Yeah, that's I was going to say, I think he drives some of that team's success factor too yeah, yeah. i think kale mccarr uh, is a really strong pick for this like not even necessarily because of his own individual ability to end man's whole career um it, it's like you're saying that he when he has the puck it leaves the defensive zone and when he has the puck in the neutral zone it enters the offensive zone like he creates offensive situations yeah and it's not just off i mean you know, if we're talking MVP, not just offense, like MVP in any situation, you know, he he would be a strong choice in in both situations. Like when you're when you're taking the two together as an all around, yeah, he's a strong choice. Um, yeah, I will will jump on the Nathan McKinnon grenade for the offense MVP then, because a lot of Miko's production, as as much as Miko has been the best version of Miko and amazing, and as much as I have made him the star of the week on the show in the past this year. Um, a lot of his plays are finishing for Nathan McKinnon. So, yeah. which, which is good since Nate can't finish to this <laughs> yeah, year. <exactly>. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's very important. That, I think that we have both of those two 
together in our offensive MVP triad. Yeah. Which is, that's the reason why I personally would have chosen McKinnon. I mean, of the, as one of the three, I'm not going to really argue against that, but he has been frustrated. I think he's getting more and more frustrated that he, he isn't finishing and then the mystery, whatever, whatever the hell. <laughs> it, it just feels like it's nice to know that even if he's maybe a little off, he's still leading the team in scoring. So 14 points. But that's yeah. that's lovely, right? But we just we know when it looks like he's on top of his game. And he did have a few of those. He had a couple games early and a few of those moments early on, which I think helped them score goals. In the very beginning of when yeah, they were playing, but not maybe not as much in the last five or so games. Yeah, he hasn't taken over yeah, a whole line... game yet, and that's the scary part. Yeah, that line has been, I I think, not quite as great defensively uh, as it as it perhaps was last year. Yeah, I don't think we're going to name any term... of these guys in the next segment. Um, well, they're just you know they're. They're high event, they're like the the pace that they play with. Whether you're talking, you know, Corsi pace or expected goal pace, is just it's a lot higher than everyone else on the team as far as forwards. So you're, you're you know you're you're going to look at their numbers and be like, oh, you know, it's like that Corsi against rate. You know, that's that's kind of high, but you know that's just generally how they play. It's just very fast, uh, but it just it's sort of relative to what the team's doing. It's it's not quite as great. Um, but what what Mac does as far as driving quantity and quality of shots is, I mean, he's a step above everyone, you know, even Miko and Makar. But then some of those chances that he's creating does take an elite stick to finish, and that's that's where Miko comes in and also belongs on this pedestal. Let's, yeah. Let's talk about the other direction. Who has been most valuable for you defensively? Um, and I. I think we'll let Jackie go first. I think we probably know the answer. <laughs> and I think I well, agree with it. It's it's tough just to look at defensive performance because I don't know. If we're talking about just defensively, who has had like an amazing season so far, maybe you could say Jost. But we're talking like defense, defense here. You're probably expecting me to say Gerard because everyone has said how how much how it looks like he's taken a step and how good he is i still feel like a little bit of that is just finally realizing it and appreciating it but like he's he's has a massive role like he him and makar like the kind of the torch has been passed like it's those two are the pillars of this defense and gerard has to be out there all the time in a bunch of different situations and Maybe it's leading to a few more points. Maybe it's leading to him facilitating a little bit more in the offensive zone, which is fabulous. But he's always been a rock defensively. And I think that's true for the beginning of the season. Yeah, one thing I found interesting in in what I've gone through so far is that Sam's numbers really don't deviate from the team that much. And you're like, oh, you know, what does that mean? Does it mean he's just sort of average? And what it really means, he plays so much that he sort of draws the Avs number. Um, Pretty much. He's going to be closer to those numbers because he plays so much. Um, and it just, it, it's just, it's extremely valuable how much he plays, especially five on five, because, you know, he and Makar end up 
you know, pretty close as far as total time on ice. But usually Sam's um, higher at, at five on five, just um, you know, because he doesn't get as much power play time, and then <clears throat> neither of them play a, a whole lot of PK. So, um, and he's been really just... good on the PK. Yep. Yeah. Earlier. But so. it's just sort of the, the gravity of his numbers sort of guiding the team is a really good indicator of how good he's been. I believe that um, if, if the team had to play without Sam Gerrard for any, you know, period of time longer than the A game, you would see those team-wide numbers begin to tank and maybe in a in a substantial way. Like, because everything that he brings allows the other defenders to just do what they do without you know having to take on that massive role because right. he's there he's their rock he's got it sam gerard is the cornerstone of the abs blue line i think he really is and and you don't know it because he's played every single game since he's come to the abs and yes he missed a few in the playoffs that's always the joke but he's played every single game it's crazy to think about it like that and knock on wood Hope to God he doesn't go on the COVID list to change that. But um, they wouldn't know. They wouldn't know what this team looks like without him. Because he's what? Because he's 20... always been there. Is he 22? <laughs> Is that right? So, yeah, 22. And he's already played 200 games. Like, he's, whoa. He's close to like 250 now. Yeah. But it's good that we can appreciate him now for what he's doing on the ice rather than, oh boy, what are we missing? Yeah, and, and and I do think some of the increased eyes on him is part of it with with the attention he gets. But I also do think he's a little bit quicker. I do. I do think that he's it's clicked for him in the offensive zone a bit more. I don't I don't know why, but hey, we'll take it. So I, I think that's the correct answer. Um Earl, if you have a different answer, you are welcome to add it. No, I I agree. <clears throat> so who um, has been um, the positive surprise on the Avalanche roster for you this season? You want me to take it again? I don't I care who takes it. Okay. Well, I think this is where you got to throw Byram in. With uh, just how he stepped in and um, you know, we figured he was going to get a chance and he was going to play some, but I think what, and he's by no means even close to what he's going to be for this team. So I'm not trying to oversell it because I, I think he will learn a ton this year and we'll see him improve in certain areas, but just that he's been able to step in, been able to take truly regular minutes being able to play on both special teams in a lot of different situations. He's held up very well defensively. I, I think people kind of look at, well, he had that great assist, but then like nothing since then. And I've pointed out, well, now he's at like 5.4 on ice shooting percentage. Nobody's really helping him get assists and he hasn't got the goal yet. I, it, it will come. He's actually generating a decent amount of shots on goal and his, for his shot attempts, what he gets on goal is a lot better than like what Sam and McCarr get. Is he actually has the same number of shots on goal at even strength as McCarr has? So, you know, he's 
he's able to at least generate at that level. And I think he's been focusing a lot defensively and showing a little bit of that physicality in the D zone against a lot bigger, older players. And um, those things are only going to improve as well. So I think from what you expected, and there were high expectations on him, of course, but that he's been able to look like a contributing NHL defenseman not even 10 games into his career, I think is a very nice surprise. Yeah. Cause he, you know, he's, he's really not given easy minutes. Um, <clears throat> and you know, the cornerstone of, of how Jared Bednar gives out time to, to young players is generally, you know, you're, you're either defensively responsible or you're not going to be playing. And like Byram is very in line with the rest of the team, as far as, you know, the sort of quantity and quality allowed. Um, and, and I think that's great. I, I, you know, his offense looks really good on paper as far as what happens when he's on the ice. And, you know, you're right. The, the shooting percentage isn't there. And, and, you know, that's just something that that's, you know, it's an aberration. Plus it's, it's going to get better as, as he becomes more experienced, but just for, you know, 19-year-old player being able to generate that much offense and, and still be defensively responsible, it, you know, it's it's really impressive. The surprise for me with Bowen Byram is the poise, a lot more than anything offensively. Because, like, what we're seeing with him, like, with the puck offensively in the offensive zone is pretty much exactly what I was told to expect from this player. So calling that a surprise is a little disingenuous. His poise in the face of a forecheck has been extremely strong. And th- I yeah. think that that's part of how you know he's an NHL player. It's like, if he's already got that, you can only build from there. And that's, I mean, that's such a part of his personality is just being calm while their bombs just blowing up all around him. Um, and I'm just, I'm really glad to see that so quickly because it's something you always wonder about with a young player is, you know, whether, you know, how are they going to react to an NHL speed four check? And, um, you know, how are they going to react when the, the passing options aren't as clear or easy to see? And it's like the vision is still there. He's still calm. He still waits that extra half a beat with the puck to get the right pass and things like that. So it's, no, it, it's it's really amazing that that he's able to do that so far. Who else we got for this list? For a surprise, mm-hmm. I I think Jost is probably a surprise. You know, it, it like we were talking about before. It's it's been nice that he's been able to find a role, but <clears throat> um, he's just so effective defensively. And that's just, you know, you go back three years, that's just not what we thought was going to be the case. You know, he was thought of as more of, you know, an offensive guy, and, and hopefully he can play defense well enough to, to just sort of be a, a good two-way player. But, um, you know, the, the way he suppresses shots and quality for the opponent, it, it's it's really impressive. Now, granted, he doesn't go up against top competition that much, but it you know, he's been sort of moving up the lineup a little more and more lately, so it's not changing. So he's good. I think more of the surprise is that he's been given that role and that it's defined because we've talked about before how he was good at these certain things and like why couldn't he he could have been kind of that guy maybe even two years ago 
and now now it's finally happened. So I don't know that I'm as surprised, but I think if you're looking at it from the angle of like a, a pleasant development, for sure, I, I agree with that. Well, it's more like he, you know, he is what people think Comfort is, and we've said this a lot of times. Um, but it's just he truly is that now. He truly is what we thought Comfort was, um, just without the offense. Mm, I I still think that's Jonas Donskoy, who was who is what people think Comfort <laughs> is. That'd be nice. Mm, that's an interesting <laughs> thought. <laughs> um. So my uh, addition to the positive surprise list is going to be Devontae's, who came to the to the Avalanche and just fit in perfectly immediately, and was was very good immediately. Usually, like when you when you come into a new team, it takes you a minute to get adjusted. We saw that with Brandon Saad, uh, and Taves just just rolls in and is great with a with a you know a short camp, no preseason, preseason, nothing. He just comes right in and is a massively important part of this blue line. It sucks that he's hurt now, but I I was very, very happy. I, and in a surprise, I was surprised to be so happy with how well he just fit right in on the roster. So, um, yeah, that's, I'm, that's I'm, my name. I'm super happy with him. It's, it is amazing that they just found him. Like I, I mentioned this on another podcast, but it was like, with what some of these teams around the league are out on blue line and how you hear over the, how hard it is to find a top four defenseman it's like they just conjured one out of thin air and threw him on the blue line and he's like the perfect complement to to guys like McCarr and and how they play and it, it's like he he's not the big shot blocker that you think needs to play with somebody offensively gifted and what McCarr can do it's like this is the new age compliment and and I agree that yeah, I mean, he's been a- able to be that compliment so quickly is a credit to his intelligence and the way that they mesh together. Yeah, and it's the funny thing is, is just he he doesn't have the same role he did he had on the Islanders. Um so it's 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 not like you were scouting him and saying like, oh, you know, he could be, you know, our offensive sort of second power play guy you know guy you put on late in games kind of thing it, what he's been used as is completely different so and and i think that's on purpose um i think it, they saw what they wanted as far as a skill set and they're like this would work perfectly if we used him in this way that's not what he's doing now um so and it, it makes the islanders that, look a little goofy for not doing yeah. that <laughs> yeah <laughs> I saw that in the analytics it's just it is a huge credit to to whoever was part of arriving at the, this, this decision and i think just who he is is perfect that he's a little bit older um and that it, they have him signed for the four years and i think that's that's going to be perfect because it's going to keep him here throughout his prime but it wasn't somebody they they're going to have to make like a super long commitment to if maybe if maybe his role or his effectiveness begins to fall off when he he reaches 30 but it's so nice to know that we have him as as part of the blue line and he's he is the perfect complement to what they've been building i'm i'm not surprised that he became this guy i i just figured just it would so take fast. until like yeah. april <laughs> i knew they were gonna i i really do 
had felt like they were going to play him a lot. Like that. And then, then the one interview Bednar gave to some random people, he, he mentioned that the vision was to pair him with Makar. So I felt like he would definitely have the role, but I agree with you that the effectiveness, you just never know. You never know how a guy is going to fit in first time he's ever been traded and, and asked to do different things and that he's, he's fit the identity of the team so well. I agree with that. Yeah, and it's funny. The, I mean, he still has a little bit of the Islanders in him. Like, he suppresses everything. You know, he, he does suppress, you know, his own team's offense a little bit when he's on the ice. Um, but, and that's something I can see changing gradually as he becomes more and more accustomed to the team. I, I think that, you know, that's something that he's probably, it, it's probably the difficult, most difficult thing he has to learn transferring between teams is sort of going from a team that's very defense first to a, a, a team that, you know, is a little more involved as far as defensemen jumping in the play and transition and everything like that. So then let's, I do want to uh, give an honorable mention to Grubauer. Yeah. I, I had the same thought. We've, we've been, we've given him a hard ride at times and I think we do need to give him credit and, and, um, all those articles about, you know, that Grubauer's probably, the goaltending is probably what's going to keep the abs from the cup. And it's just like, he's been great. And I, I think it has been a surprise to all of us. Like, we never thought he was bad or maybe even average. But did we, did any of us really think he was like fabulous? And I think, no, I think he surprised everybody. Definitely, definitely deserves to be in that conversation as well. And and because he's he's been so like I don't want to say inconsistent, but he's he has had those stretches. Um, and so far this season, he's just been legit. Like one goal, that's what you get. Good luck. Yeah, he's been solid. Whatever he's doing is working for him. So, so let's just hope it continues. So let's bring it down a little bit. Bring down the mood with with who is making you say, "Give me a break." <laughs> I'm going to start off with with some low hanging fruit, but Belmer even before his injury looked done. Um, he, he certainly looked a little slower. Yes. Yeah, and it's you, you look at sort of what happened on the ice when he was out there, and defensively it wasn't that bad, but it just it was at the expense of so much offense. Um, he was just such a black hole, and it. I, you know, I, he's never been a driver, obviously, or anything like that, but, um, it just, it wasn't as bad last year. And it just, you know, and, and part of that's Calvert being pretty much just as bad and, and those guys being interlocked, basically. Um, It'd be th nice. those two, those two together are just, they're bad and they make you bad at offensively. It'd be nice for them to come back for depth, but I do feel like the team could be better not playing them every night. And I know Calvert's the great heart and soul. They'd be better guy. off if they didn't play. <laughs> but you pretty much get a lot of what Calvert brings on the ice with O'Connor. Basically. Yeah. You, you maybe don't get so much of the, I'm going to fight every one of you personally, um, but you definitely get the energy game. Yeah. All right, so my pick is Graves, and I think we all pretty much expected that. 
he wasn't what the perception of him out there was the whole great plus 40 and getting some Norris talk and, and all this and top pair graves. And we knew that that wasn't really reality, but that um, Norris talk is hilarious specifically. Yeah. It's yeah. just crazy. But you know, we knew that he, he probably had a little bit of a career gear last year and was going to not be able to match that, but he's, he's having more trouble adjusting to his new role than I think any of us expected. And, um, and maybe seeing just how much having Makar really propped him up. And, um, yeah, yeah, it's the, it's, I think he's getting overwhelmed because then he has to be the guy with the puck skill. And maybe he doesn't quite have that poise and, and that it's, that's what he's missing from a car. Not necessarily that Makar's driving the bus and all of this. It's just that teams know that they're going to go after him. That he's back there with the puck, and they haven't played Makar with Graves really at all, even through all the injuries and the shuffling. So I think they've kind of indicated, like, "Hey, that door's closed, and you're going to have to figure it out." And um, you know, with EJ, they've talked about kind of the vision of those two together. Maybe really the truth is could be a little bit better next to Sam. I don't know what the answer is, but so the reason why I'm picking Graves is I think we all expect a little bit of a step back, but he's struggled more than I think any of us really expected. So he should probably be on, on the list here. I think EJ is a, a fine plan for, for what to do with Graves. I think a big part of the issue is that his partners have been, other players who either don't move the puck well or don't handle a forecheck well in Greg Pattern, in Connor Timmons, in um, the other guy. The okay. other guy. Yeah. So, and and in his couple of games back, Eric Johnson was pretty good. So, I think ha- having those two back together would be a decent long-term plan. We just gotta have a non-concussed EJ, please. And I think. Well, Graves is a little bit better than what he's shown to. I don't think this is like the absolute truth. I think he can play a bit better. It's just he's having a little trouble adjusting. Well, and it, it's not just playing with Makar. It's it's also that he's he's ended up playing with the bottom six forwards a lot, and that is a <laughs> yeah, totally <laughs> different ball game than playing with the Mac line a lot or playing with Kadri's line. So, um, you know that that's another. That that's a whole huge topic we could get into is sort of the how how depth is sort of an illusion on the forward core. Um, Boy, is there ever not time for that? Right. <laughs> so, it, but it, I just wanted to make the point that it's it's not just Makar. It's it's you know sort of what you get with being with Makar is also being with the Mac line a lot. So, yeah. Yeah, and guys that could get out of their own zone, which is right. <laughs> helpful. So for, for my addition to this list, y'all are going to complain about it, and I'm going to tell you it's because of recency bias, because he has been better the last few games, uh, minus Nazem Kadri, um, who got off to just about the slowest start to the season possible for Nazem Kadri. And like I said, he has been heading back in the right direction recently, especially the the famous game after the meeting or whatever. Um, but there's still enough of the season that's been bad that I definitely want to throw that name here. I think it's 
I think that's fair. And I think if you're picking between him and Sod, pro- probably Sod's been better consistently since he got off the Schneid than Kadri. Yeah, so. so- Sod's been more better. Yeah, and then and then Kadri is supposed to be a little bit more responsible because he's the center, and it seems like he's the a little less reliable. So I think that's fair too. Is is and it was never for me, and I've said this a few times. It was never for me about the points because you know these guys, you know the production that they put up in their career. Unless you're talking about the cliff, they're gonna have that kind of production. It's just come. You're you're the veterans. You can you have to play better defensively. Like if you're gonna accept this kind of defensive play, then you might as well play all the kids because you're. You just can't accept that. And that part has been the most disappointing for me is sometimes he just, he can't check. Like he gets, he gets taken off the puck along the wall and then in coverage, he's terrible. And it's like, what, then what are you out here for? So (laughs) certainly he needs to be better. What would you say you do here? Yeah, that's never going to be a defensive line that shuts anybody (laughs) down, but it cannot leak as many a plus plus chances as it has yeah and, and that's and like i said it has weird... gotten better lately but yes. it's still a, it's still a big enough chunk of the season yeah, yes, I, I, agree I mean as, as far as what he does you know as far as you know sort of suppressing the other team's offense a lot of that is is by being in the offensive zone a lot, you know, it's right. sort of a, a Carl Soderberg situation where it's, it's suppression by, you know, cycling and, and being offensively gifted. And, and you know, it's like ending, when you get, when you get him stuck back in the defensive zone, it's trouble. Yeah. You want him ending his shift with a face off on the offensive zone. Like you don't, you don't want him trying to play defense. Right. And uh, there's, there's pretty good evidence that, that, playing with Burakovsky makes him a lot better. Yes, definitely. <clears throat> and the playing like when he and Sod were with, you know, the mishmash, basically Donnie and, and Nuke, um, that they were that was when they were in big trouble. So um you know, it, it makes him look like sort of a passenger. Do you want to toss any last minute uh honorable mentions on this one? I mean Confer sucks. <laughs> yeah, but you expected that. that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he he maybe has been a little bit worse than you might expect, but that it might yeah. just seem that way because he hasn't had his <laughs> quarterly week of greatness yet. Yeah. And we're all yes, hoping scoring on. We're all hoping two garbage time doesn't count. No. <laughs> yeah. And it, it 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 you know someone mentioned I think it was you Jackie that he usually gets a bump for the, like the first couple games that he plays with the Miko and, and Landy. You know, I don't think that part. was mine. So whoever said that, I'll, I'll, okay. I'll take credit for that. But 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 yeah, he tails like... off really quick afterwards, and, <laughs> and <laughs> no, he didn't, didn't really didn't get that really wrong. see that on Tuesday. No. <laughs> and we're not I going to going forward either. I will also no. say one one other surprise in a good way it's just how much i needed to see burakovsky in the lineup i never thought i'd feel that way but it was like oh thank god (laughs) so i found a little bit new appreciation for burakovsky so uh, mention that too yeah he's very enigmatic he is i know he's gonna he'll have his moments too that's why i'm not like oh he's got to be on the top line because 
sometimes he he don't have it to be on that line but but when he's on yeah he's he's someone you need that's that's for sure yeah no i just i, I think he and kadri kind of play off each other well enough that that makes that line viable Definitely. well if one of them's going then then that should work for sure yep <clears throat> So the main reason that you're not going to see a JT Comfer off the top line bump going forward is because coming up this week is nothing. Spend some time watching the other divisions if you're able. Definitely watch a couple of the disasters in the north just for a palate cleanser from all these grind fests against the Southern California clubs. Spend time with your other hobbies. And we're going to obviously take off next week ourselves because there's not much to talk about. But you can look forward to an episode of 2A next week. When is that? Well, we're going to record Friday, and it'll probably drop sometime in in the following week. So, yeah, don't wait up for it on Friday, but just know that it's coming, and you can always uh, give us questions in the Discord or on Twitter if you'd like, uh, if if you want us to get to something. And that makes our next episode of Burgundy Radio the weekend of the 21st. And coming up in the week before that, we hope... Colorado head to Vegas for the first two of a set of four against the Golden Knights on Sunday, the 14th. That's a five mountain start on NBC Sports. And then on Tuesday, an eight o'clock mountain start. And it looks like it will be on NHL Network. So both teams head to Lake Tahoe for their neat outdoor experiment on Saturday. That's one o'clock mountain, of course, on Big Boy NBC. So if you're a Comcast victim, I mean subscriber, you're in luck. You should be able to watch a lot of those games. And even luckier, at least two of them might be watchable. And I'm just kind of bracing for what they're going to do with the schedule because there could be a lot of changes. There could be um, a lot of games shuffled. Uh, They're not just going to stick the games that the Avs missed on off days. They might move a bunch of these. And they did have some off time before and after this Tahoe thing, which I know they're probably still going to have to have. Yeah. For prep and lead up to those games. However, they might they have can't to make them too. fly to St. Louis in between the Vegas and the Tahoe <laughs> game. No. <laughs> but you, you never know. So it it is going to be a little hard for us to predict exactly exactly yeah. how things are going to go until we get back to the point where they exist again. Yeah, the, it's going to schedule up your calendar in a really weird way. <laughs> it is, and and the schedule definitely is a suggestion right now. Um, but as it currently sticks out, what are your predictions for that week of games against the Golden Knights? Because so we're talking <gasps> four games. Is that we're talking we're about saying? three games. One of them outdoor. Yeah, the same thing. You hope for two out of three. It it would be nice to you know win the outdoor game while you're on big boy TV. That would be lovely. Um, it'd be lovely to have as much of our team as possible for the debut of the reverse retros and make it sort of a nice, happy kind of event thing that we all deserve. Uh, Vegas has looked good. I think that they came out of their paws firing on all cylinders. So I'll say two out of three and please win the outdoor game. So split before that, win the outdoor game and we're good. I'm, I'm, I'm I'm kind of torn on this one because it just it seems like they're only going to get two points out of that week because they never went outdoors and splitting with Vegas in Vegas sounds like a pretty good deal. Um, but 
that I mean, we just don't know who's going to be playing. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it could be three out of three, honestly. But <clears throat> you know, it, it's it's really tough to say without it, it, without having a clue on the lineup. I just don't know what to think. So I'll I'll, I'll go with two points, but I could be way off. I, no, I well, think you're right because I'm going to go with two points variable. too. Because playing outside I, for the Avs, we've seen it. It's an L. And playing that yeah. first game back after several off, we've seen it. It's an L. <laughs> so, hold on. Am I officially the optimistic one? Yes. There you go. <laughs> so, that's that's how you know the world's ending. I'm the optimistic one. Does it, Should I call the show Optimist Jackie? <laughs> But but you I mean you could be very right because like all right they can't win they can't lose every single outdoor game they ever play ever right oh they, they can they'll they'll win one <laughs> well don't don't threaten because you know they'll prove it but no, Ve- Vegas are good and their style maybe suffers outdoor but not any more than anybody else's Colorado are good and the outdoor game stops them in their tracks so that's an L. <laughs> and you do make a good point. It's a little hard to predict without knowing like who's going to be playing, but I'll assume they're probably at at some sort of capa- capacity in the last games that we saw. So, you know, yeah, not I mean, like Frank could play one of those games, but... you know? I mean, <laughs> I yeah, I don't know if I'm expecting that. I, <laughs> someone's got to be back, right? Yeah. But... yeah. Even if he's healthy, I don't think Frank plays any of those games to be honest. <laughs> yeah, whenever their next back to back is, which I'm not even going to look because I just yeah, the the schedule right now is is not exists. So, whenever their next back to back is, maybe that's when Hopefully, Frank is among the living again. If Frank is among the living, I don't... Among the living? If Frank is among the livings, I don't think we see him again before February 25 in Arizona. Personally. That's a good place for him. Before he made his NHL debut. Mm -hmm. Wow. I didn't know that off the top of my head. What, y'all don't remember that? We we started Grubauer in both games of a back-to-back and bitched about it, and then Francois came in and gave up one goal as the team made a massive comeback, but that one goal oh, made the difference. Yeah. And, that was and, also when they were doing really, 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 really dumb things with the roster. That's we what were I remember about mad. We were so mad. <laughs> um, so whatever the schedule ends up looking like, whatever the roster ends up looking like, if we're mad as hell, two weeks from now, you know you can find out here. So, next week, don't look for us, look for 2A. The week after that, we will be back talking about three of the four games against Vegas, assuming that is actually what happens. And we will see you then. I guess my disappointment is it's probably also low-hanging fruit, which is Graves. And I think we all knew. Plus, Okay, did I lose both of you or just Jackie? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay. I lost Jackie. (laughs) Okay. Did, did, Did she drop? No, she's still here. Jackie, we cannot hear you saying words. 
You're saying words about Ryan Graves and no one can hear them. <laughs> Maybe it's a metaphor. I don't know. All, all, all I know is that uh, she said he was low-hanging fruit and that's probably true because this is about what I expected to happen. <laughs> it's Oh, here she is. How much of that did we miss? Because <laughs> all of it. <laughs> no, did you hear you say graves? We or... heard you say graves. Yes. Yeah. Okay, God, I've got to try to <laughs> start that over. Uh, so, like all fun. of it. Okay. Um, 